Welcome to PSQH, the podcast. I'm your host, Jay Kumar, Editor-in-Chief of PSQH. On this episode, I talk to Grant Gibson, Executive Vice President of CyberReady, about the current state of cybersecurity and healthcare. And now, on to the interview. How's it going, Grant? It's going well. Excellent. Welcome to the show. And uh, before we kind of start talking about uh, cybersecurity and healthcare, I was wondering if you could tell me a little bit about yourself and uh, CyberReady. Yeah, so um, I've been in cybersecurity for a very long time, uh, pretty much since the beginning of the World Wide Web. Uh, I was I, I was playing on a dial-in bulletin board system before the internet was even a real big thing, and I had dialed into the power company because they had a bulletin board and they had uh, a number eight option which said the internet. I didn't know what it was, <laughs> but I was going to find out. And uh, and it took me to the internet, and it but it was text based. There was no right. graphics or World Wide Web and stuff. Anyways, ended up going to Barnes and Nobles and finding a book called The Yellow Pages of the Internet, and looked up a couple FTP sites, including Sony's. Um, and I said, well, I want to go check out Sony's FTP site and see what they have for the world. And uh, while I was rummaging around, I found their password file. <laughs> Logged out immediately. It was thought the FBI was going to come knock on my door. All these crazy things, and I hadn't done anything, but just finding it was was kind of scary. Right. Um, but that launched my kind of obsession with cybersecurity. Ended up going to the Marine Corps and some other places before I ended up at CyberReady. And at CyberReady, what we do is we try to help um, organizations wrap their heads around cybersecurity from a holistic perspective so that they can better be prepared to deal with those threats, stay a viable business, keep their customers' records intact and secure, and make sure that they're sustainable in the cyber environment. Excellent. So let's talk about um, cybersecurity and healthcare. What would you say is the current state of cybersecurity in the healthcare uh, industry? Well, uh, from the best indicator, sometimes an outside perspective, and it is a heavily attacked industry and probably one of the most heavily attacked industry outside of government. Um, Education is also getting attacked a lot uh, these days and as all businesses are. But when you when you look at the ones that come up the most, it's most often you're seeing breaches or attempted attacks into healthcare, government and education and healthcare pretty much tops the list most of the times. So there is a concern there right now. Different organizations have various levels of cybersecurity capabilities and what they do within the healthcare industry. But because it's such a target these days, it's something that we really need to take seriously. And, you know, I was wondering if you could give us a couple of stats just on sort of, you know, how extremely uh, targeted healthcare is. I mean, it seems like, the you know, we're hearing about it a lot more nowadays and, and the cost to organizations is, is growing. Well, uh, the first thing, the Ponemon Institute kind of did a study on the consequences of cybersecurity to patient care. And I think these are kind of numbers I like to look at a little bit because they tell us a lot. Um, if there's a cyber attack occurs, the length of stay uh, goes up by 70%. Um, the delays in procedures and tests that result in poor outcomes are up by 69%. Increasing complications from medical procedures is up by 37%, and the increase in a mortality rate is up by 23%. So that's what happens if you suffer a cybersecurity attack. Last year, there were some other reports and statistics out there that talked about, uh, you know, 
59% of these attacks were enabled by someone on the inside of the hospital. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean they were a malicious actor that said, hey, I am going to give information to the hackers or I'm going to aid the hackers. Sometimes it was just mistakes. And as a matter of fact, a lot of times it was just mistakes because of social engineering or other things that or phishing attempts where they where they were able to compromise that user by convincing them they were a trustworthy person and got some right. information that they shouldn't have. Uh, if you go through and look at just the last five days or the last four days, you know, uh, databreaches.net, which is a website I go to often to keep uh, tabs on what's going on in the industry and where these texts are. Five of those articles from the last, since the 20th, are about healthcare either a breach or different things like that, or, or a note, or, or one of the articles is about how the Britain's national healthcare system is the most attacked organization in Britain right now from a cybersecurity standpoint. So there's a, there's a lot of numbers out there to make sense of if, if we go down the rabbit hole, but, but the bottom line is uh, it's, it's a vulnerable industry and there's a lot of people trying to take advantage of it. Why is it? Why are they interested in healthcare data? You might ask yourself, right? Why are these hackers so interested? Well, when you go back and you obviously there's insurance fraud stuff that comes up when when you look at this stuff, but the kind of information that we have in our medical files is very valuable. You know, a social security number will only get you so far when you're trying to do things uh, with somebody's personal identity. You also need things like driver's licenses, maybe an example of some utility bills of course those can be forged pretty easily but sometimes when we look at buying bigger things like buying a house or financing a very expensive education they look at your medical history mm -hmm. right those are things that you might have to submit as part of those applications uh maybe it's because there's things on your credit report um maybe because there was changes to your person that are reflected in medical records that they need to keep tabs on different things like that so when they're trying to collect a picture of a person, they're trying to collect more than a social security number and a name. They're trying to get IDs and financial history and tax returns and medical information because the more of that you have, the more damage you can do with that. There's also people that are interested in blackmail based off medical data and things like that. So the medical industry has a lot of very personal data and it's the kind of data that can be used to do a lot of dangerous things. And that's why hackers are so interested in it. There's also the ransom aspect, right? Medical facilities tend to have a lot of money flowing through them. How much of that money is available for cybersecurity uh, thieves is questionable, right? Because maybe they don't have a lot of spare money, but when the hackers look at it, they say, well, this is an organization that has a lot of money transferring through it, and right. that's a potential profit for us. So they spend a lot of time looking at that, and that's one of the reasons that they're such a in demand with the hackers. Is it also a case of healthcare, you know, hospitals or other healthcare organizations might be more likely to to pay up just because of the nature of what they do and, you know, not wanting to, you know, lose, you know, valuable time for surgeries or whatever, um, will that are they more likely to pay up a ransom? Yeah, I, I think there is some thought. Uh, there is some thought behind that when the hackers uh, look at this, because the, the fact is, this data can be life or death, right? It's yeah. not always life or death. Sometimes it's just a delay in medical care, but it could be life or death. And when you're dealing with situations like that, it's much harder for an administrator or, some, or an executive who's in charge of making that decision: do we pay or not? To say we need to pay this money and get this back right now because people's lives are potentially at risk if we don't do something right. 
Absolutely. Uh, so what isn't working with uh, the cybersecurity plans of many organizations in healthcare? Well, I think first we have to go back and just look at the nature of this industry. Uh, when in the cybersecurity industry, we talk about the CIA triangle, uh, confidentiality of information, integrity of information, availability of information. Hospitals have a need for patient information to be very available to the doctors and nurses and the healthcare professionals that support them because they don't want to make mistakes, right? They need to know who this person is, what their allergies are, what their complications are, what their medical history is. That needs to be highly available to the people to do their job. One thing that we know is when you make something more available, you take away security measures, right? Uh, if, if, if any of your guests watch Game of Thrones, uh, George R. R. Martin used to write that on an old computer that wasn't connected to the internet to try to keep it the try to keep the script safeguarded, right? That was a very secure way of doing things because you can't hack into a computer that's not in the network. At least that's the idea. Hospitals don't have that luxury of putting that much security around something that it's not available to the doctors and nurses. They have an environment where that information needs to be available. You need to be able to log onto a computer quickly, get the appropriate information about the person that you're gonna see, and be able to make medical decisions on it. And that inherently makes it harder to secure because you can't put as many security measures in front of it because you don't wanna make it too hard for the doctors, the nurses, and all the other health professionals that are out there to get that information. So what can organizations do to, you know, what kinds of uh, cybersecurity measures can should they implement to protect against these kinds of threats? Well, I think the most important thing and the first thing we always want to start with is uh, a cyber awareness culture. We often talk about it as training, right? You need to get your cybersecurity training. Often organizations do that annually to come in and say, hey, here's your cybersecurity course uh, and, and, and then move on with your year. I think they need to make it a more cultural activity, uh, not just once a year and not just training, right? Sometimes it might just be um, when you're having your meeting at the end of the day or the beginning of the day with your teams, you might just sit down and have a discussion about cybersecurity. We, my team did one the other day where we asked the question, hey, what are some habits you changed in the last 10 years based on cybersecurity awareness? I told them that I used to use my PIN number uh, for my debit card for PINs for phone systems and PINs for the bank and pins for other websites that I would go to that ask for a pin. I don't do that anymore, I changed that. And we were able to go around the room and talk to the various individuals in the room and they'd all made a lot of changes, it turned out, based on cybersecurity awareness that they'd picked up over the time. Just having those little discussions and doing, having little engagement activities where we just talk about cybersecurity for five minutes of our day. Not every day, maybe once a week, maybe once a month, but we just have that kind of engagement all year where we're thinking about cybersecurity that's going to make a difference, right? That's going to enable people to spot social engineers, to spot phishing scams, to be aware that they shouldn't necessarily use this mode of communication to transfer some patient data or a password or something of that nature. And just staying engaged in the culture of cybersecurity and thinking that, and having conversations about why it's important and what we do daily to protect ourselves can go a long way to help ensuring that these things don't happen. Other things that we can do is we can get better technology to support us, right? Uh, some systems that in the healthcare industry, actually many systems in the healthcare industry use um, common access cards uh, where they plug their card into the computer to get access to the data. Uh, other industries use that too. That's a great way because it saves us from having to be as reliant on a password 
which they're going to have a pin or something in that case, but we're not necessarily still relying on a password to keep us out. And it's something that you physically hold that maybe is harder for somebody else to get a hold of or hack into, right? Because we're doing it. There are things you can do like that. Um, also, there's something to be said for just being able to track where information is going, right? To be able to follow a file. Did the file get transferred to this area or that area? Was the file copied? Was it, was it printed out? And if the printout went somewhere, where did it go? There are things you can do. Nothing is foolproof at the end of the day. If you create a security measure, someone's gonna find a way to work around a security measure. Uh, but the more things we do and put in place to where we protect our information, the more tools we use, the more effective we're gonna be at keeping these hackers out. Uh, I know some hospitals have talked about banning uh, employees from using their personal phones uh, while in the building, at least because of the threat to, you know, uh, obviously cyber attackers and, you know, possibly having uh, important data on those phones as opposed to like a, you know, a work phone or something. Is that, is that, has that been easy to enforce or is that something that's just impossible because of the nature of people and their phones these days? It, it's, it's difficult uh, anywhere to tell people not to use their personal phones um, because we, we use it for everything. It's an important line of communication to our loved ones and our well-being. It's also important to communicate. It's also important to kind of get the stress relief. You know, if if someone needs a five-minute break to walk out of something because they've just been working their butt off for the last three hours and they just need a five-minute break, they might want to scroll some social media or watch a video or do something of that nature to help with the stress relief. And these are important things that we need to take into account because they're real and people people need those opportunities to de-stress or communicate with their family or do any number of things. So it's a very hard to enforce and I don't recommend that people say you can't have your personal phone uh, in the line of duty because because they're not going it's not enforceable to day. people yeah. are going to find ways around it. Personally, I do not uh, I do not use my personal cell phone with work in any way. I have a personal cell phone. I have a work cell phone. My work cell phone is for work. My personal cell phone is for personal. And I don't let the two intermix because as a cybersecurity expert, I know what the dangers are. Uh, it may be because you get hacked. It may be because you get a virus, but sometimes it's legitimate. Um, TikTok is a major app that people use out there that's put out by the Chinese government. And it spies on your personal information. It, 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 it gets copies of your contacts. It can read your text messages. It can go through your videos and your image files. And it has been found many times to transmit that information back up to TikTok. What they do with it is hard to say, but it's not the only one. There are hundreds of apps out there that have access to your personal information on your phone. So mixing a work phone and work emails and work texts with a personal phone that has a lot of apps on it that do various things can be dangerous and it's something we need to think about. So I don't think the answer is banning personal phone use, but I think there is something to be said for company provided phones that are for work and can connect to the network successfully and can provide secure means of communication. And like you said, just, you know, explaining to employees that you know, about sort of common sense when it comes to cybersecurity, you know, not clicking on, you know, sort of fishy looking links and obviously, you know, steering clear of, of those kinds of apps. Although I'm sure, you know, they probably have limited success getting people to stay away from things like TikTok. But, um, right. And, and there's nothing wrong with that, right? TikTok is, a, again, TikTok's a stress reliever. That's what people use it for. Yeah. They use it to entertain themselves, take away. 
it's just a matter of recognizing the dangers of it and making sure we kind of think about that when we go about our day-to-day -day business, that if, that if, if you're going to have patient records on your phone, you shouldn't have TikTok on your phone. If you're going to have TikTok on your phone, don't have patient records on your phone, right? And, and, and how we kind of firewall that information. Or anything else you don't want uh, getting out there. <laughs> this is true. This is um, true. But those are personal choices. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, what, what's a zero trust security approach when it comes to cybersecurity? Well, it means we don't trust anything, right? It's, it's, it's the idea that we don't trust anything or anybody with cybersecurity, anything new, anything foreign, anything that doesn't fit the mold, we don't trust. It's hard to get to zero trust, let's be honest. Um, and again, it gets back to the idea, especially in the healthcare industry, of you want that data available, right? If someone walks into a room and there's a patient in there and that patient is in distress, they need to take care of that. And sometimes that might be immediate action. Sometimes that may be looking up some information that's available on that patient. Well, in a zero trust environment, that means it's going to be difficult for the person walking into that room to get access to that information because we don't trust that person walking into that room. We're not gonna make it easy for them. We're gonna make them jump through some hoops to get that information. And that might be a life or death situation where they need to know they had these medications, there was an interaction, different things like that, that they just have to know. So it's very difficult to get to zero trust in a healthcare environment. It's difficult to get to zero trust in any environment, to be honest with you. Uh, but the closer we get to it, the safer our data is. But again, you know, the more secure we make information, the more difficult it is for us to access information. And that's a balancing act uh, for sure. Um, what about uh, Wi-Fi networks? Uh, are they are they particularly vulnerable, uh, or at least like, you know, in the way that organizations set them up? I mean, I, you know, I definitely get uh, sort of warnings about, you know, public Wi-Fi networks when, you know, when you're in a mall and places like that. You know, how are uh, hospitals doing or healthcare organizations with their Wi-Fi networks? And that's, again, security of those. Right. So... Oftentimes we have person, uh, free available Wi-Fi networks that are kind of separated from maybe the work environment networks. So you might have a free Wi-Fi for, for guests at the hospital that's, that where information is, is less secure because everybody that can access that network can see the information going across that network. Now, many times it's encrypted and that helps keep the information private, but it's not foolproof. People do break encryption and things happen. Um, but the best thing you can do for a Wi-Fi network is separate those networks, right? There's a Wi-Fi for personal use. There is a Wi-Fi for hospital use and, and medical use. And we need to separate those out so that people, and you can put walls in between them and there's different things you can do. But at the end of the day, the unique thing about Wi-Fi for most other forms of communication that we use in networking is that it's broadcast everywhere, which means if you have an antenna, and a device that can read Wi-Fi signals, you can pick up those signals. Hopefully they're encrypted. Hopefully they're difficult to break into. Hopefully they're encrypted again uh, once somebody does log into that network. So even if they do manage to guess the password, there's still encryption in place to keep them from looking at the data transfer. But because you're broadcasting that information, there is an inherent risk there. It, it, it's, it's highly available data. Uh, so you need to be careful of that. You need to use appropriate security measures. You need to keep things up, your software up to date. Uh, you need to make sure you're using the latest versions of Wi-Fi with the best security. It, 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 most, most hospitals, I think, at this point are 
are catching on to this idea that there's a patient Wi-Fi maybe or, or a public Wi-Fi and a private Wi-Fi. Some of the smaller organizations out there that, that maybe don't have quite the money to put into their infrastructure, they have, there, there's concerns there about their, their networks and how they're doing that, especially if, they're, especially if the Wi-Fi network that patients use is directly connected to the same router that was provided by this, the internet service provider, the Comcast or the, or the Spectrum or, 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 any very, or any number of, of them, because they all do it the same way. There's, there's risk there. There's definitely risk there, and that's something to be concerned about. Um, but most of the bigger organizations have have had people come in that either internally know what they're doing or they hired other companies come in that can separate those out and make sure that the patient network, the public network can't talk to the internal hospital network. Mm. And that will go a long way. How important is it to be evaluating your agreements with third-party vendors and market suppliers? You know, this is the most important um, aspect uh, I think of today's modern age for the bigger vent for the bigger companies and for the smaller vendors too, uh, because when we work with vendors, we're giving them access into our networks. We're going to take access and get inside of their networks, right? There's a lot of network interoperability and data sharing between us and our vendors. And so you can put all the great security in the world into your environment. And if you have a vendor that has no expertise in cybersecurity or cybersecurity is an afterthought, now they can get into your network. And any hackers that get into their network can vice versa, get into your network and access that information through them. So it's a very dangerous and common approach we see hackers take. It's not just the medical industry, uh, automotives dealing with this, manufacturers dealing with this, um, uh, utilities are dealing with this in a major way these days. And I think that's one of the most important things you need to do is, as, as, as an organization is you need to vet your vendors. You need to have someone come in or, or at the very minimum uh, require them that they've had some cybersecurity assessment and, and and maybe even fill out questionnaires about their cybersecurity so you have some awareness about what their policies are, what kind of technology they have in place to prevent cyber attacks so you can evaluate if they're safe for your network. Because the way we've been doing it is saying, okay, we've got a vendor agreement, we're gonna open these technology channels, we assume that we can trust them. Right. It doesn't, it doesn't meet the zero trust requirements, right? Because we're assuming we can trust them. Uh, but now what we're saying, what we're seeing a lot of organizations do, and there's a lot of people out that can help you do this is say, okay, let's vet these people. Let's see what their cybersecurity looks like. Let's make sure that we can trust them with our information and our network access. Um, you know, we definitely see a lot of hospitals, uh, getting ransomware attacks. What's the best way to deal with an attack like that? Well, there's no free iPad at the end of the tunnel. If someone if someone sends you an email saying there's a free iPad, there's probably not. Maybe there are in a few places, but the odds that you're going to win it and the odds that it's real are, is, is pretty slim. And that's what it comes down to. you got to be skeptical of the emails and phone calls and text messages that you get, especially when they try to link to something else or try to get you to download a file, um, because that's how this stuff usually gets in, right? It's usually because somebody receives a message that says, hey... Right. I need you to do A, B, C, and D for this reason, and we click on something, or we download something, or we run something that potentially infects us internally. The other thing we need to do from the organizational side is we need to have really good backups, right? And we don't necessarily want to store them on our 
internal networks, right? Maybe we want to put them in the cloud or maybe we want to take physical backups and put them in a closet somewhere or keep them in an offsite data center so that if we do get hit by a ransomware attack, we can recover data really quickly, right? And, and, and you see that in large organizations that use larger online databases, they literally take snapshots of their databases every few seconds. So even if someone does ransomware, you can go back and you can pull up something from 10 minutes ago or five minutes ago or two minutes ago with good data in it so we can access our systems. Uh, and, and that's really important to be able to protect is being able to A, mitigate that attack with good tools, um, good training, but B, being able to recover from that attack is hugely important and being able to recover it is usually based around having good backup systems, taking regular backups of information. That's like, a, I guess, like a, a basic uh, tenet of cybersecurity for anybody is back up your stuff, right? It, absolutely. Absolutely. If it's important, you don't want to lose it, yeah. you know, back it up. It's like it's like when we used to write Word documents and we were like, don't forget to save your Word yeah. document yeah. in a few minutes, right? It's, it's the same concept. Yeah. Um, so are you, are you seeing hospitals getting better at protecting against these threats? Are they making progress? Uh, yeah, we, we are we are seeing a general move from the industry to take this more seriously. Uh, most most uh, larger hospital systems are definitely taking steps to vet vendors, right? We see that a lot. I, actually, I get called by a lot of vendors saying, hey, this hospital wants me to fill out this cybersecurity form. What do I do? And I said, well, first thing we got to do is figure out what your cybersecurity looks like. So I see a lot more of that, which tells me things are going in the right direction, that we're taking some time. We're taking this seriously. We're trying to figure out what our what our deficiencies are. Um, I think that we are doing, we are less capable in the awareness and the culture uh, side of things. And it's not necessarily the hospital's fault as, uh, as you know, we've just come through COVID and we're still dealing with that. And, and this year we've had a great big RSV and influenza problem. You know, everybody who's got kids know that sickness is out there this year and it has been for several years. Yeah. Hospitals are really busy. So it's hard to take the time to sit down with your employees who are already working so hard and say, hey, let's spend some time focusing on cybersecurity, right? So I think that's the weakness in the, in, in the industry right now is that, is that we, don't have, we don't think we have the time to talk about cybersecurity and spend some time engaging in it in meaningful conversations. Um, but, but the overall trend is there's money being invested in it. That's for sure. Um, we're the hospitals are taking good steps to do things to secure uh, their systems, but but hopefully there's some breathing room in the next year or two where where we have time to sit down with our employees and say, okay, let's really start thinking about cybersecurity on a quarterly basis, on a monthly basis. Let's have conversations about it. Let's think about it as a team, so we can get to a place where where we're less vulnerable. Well, that's good advice, and Grant, I want to thank you so much for joining me today. This has been great. Thank you so much, Jay. All right. That wraps up Episode 80 of PSQH, the podcast. You can find more information about the show and listen to on-demand episodes at psqh.com. You can subscribe to the show wherever you get podcasts. Thanks again, and stay safe.